Hey, welcome to Rockbridge, all of you in any of our six physical locations and also those of you watching us online. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Incredibly excited that you're here, believe you're here for a reason. And also just want to thank all the moms and wish everybody a happy, happy Mother's Day. And you're just here on a great weekend as we continue to navigate through a actually a principle that Jesus gave us about life and about relationships. And we've been calling this the second mile. It comes from part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking to his followers or his prospective followers. And he says, hey, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And we still talk about that in culture, businesses, sports teams, talk about going to the second mile. And we really said this is a metaphor that describes what it's like when we follow Jesus Christ. Because back in the first century, a Jewish person in the, the Roman occupation of the promised land, uh, a, soldier, a Roman soldier could force a, a Jewish person to go with them one mile, carry their pack, carry their gear, carry their equipment. And Jesus says basically to his followers, hey, the enemies, your political and military enemies, the people who are occupying your land, I want you to go above and beyond what's expected. I want you to go and do more than what that's required, more than you're obligated, more than you're asked, more than you're required to do. I want you to go to miles. Well, today, what we're going to do, as we've been talking about this concept for several weeks, we're going to talk about the absolute hardest area to go the second mile. I, I bet you if we all talked amongst ourselves or you had this conversation in the car or with your small group or something, we could all identify an area of our lives where we sort of maybe naturally or how we were raised, we go the second mile in that area. For some of you, it's like your career. For some of you, it's like your sports or your diet or your workout regimen, like you're a, you're a beast and, and you go the second mile. Some of you, it's like your Xbox game. Man, you are a second mile, all right, on, on Xbox. So there's probably areas of our lives where we kind of understand and live out second mileism, and, and, and we give it all our all and we go above and beyond and people look at us in that area and they're like wow right but we've been talking about second mile as a way to show the world Jesus and the hardest area to show Christ often and the hardest area to go the second mile is in our relationships because all of us sometimes like the idea of a relationship but the reality is messy because the reality is we are all fallen, broken, sinful people building relationships with other fallen, broken, sinful people in a world that is fallen, broken, and sinful. And so it is hard to go the second mile. It's hard to go the second mile first century with a Roman occupier. It's hard to go the second mile sometimes with your own family or with your own small group members. It's just hard to get to the second mile. It really, it really is. And, and we've all got stories, and we've all got reasons, and we've all got why it won't work, and we can't get there. But we need to wrestle with them. How do we get to the second mile in our relationships? How, how do we go above and beyond and, and love people the way we're called to love people in our relationships? And, and, and part of why we're talking about them this weekend 
is because all of us that can probably tell stories or, or give examples of the first person who ever went the second mile for us was our moms, right? I mean, our moms, whether it was taking care of us before we were born, after we were born, during childbirth, you know, getting up with us while we were sick, changing diapers, all the things that moms do, that's the first glimpse a lot of us got of Jesus' love because Jesus' love is second mile up. And, and so this is such a great weekend for us to be talking about second mile relationships because for many of us, it's our moms that first showed us second mile love and, how, and, and their love and how they took care of us. But let's go to the source of this teaching, Jesus. We're going to be in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, and talk about and learn how we can get to the second mile in our relationships. Now, before we get to this story that we're going to talk about today, here's what I want to encourage all of us to do, okay? I want you right now, now, and don't look at anybody in the room, and, and don't elbow anybody, don't, don't, do any, don't even write a name down, you know, it might, might, might disrupt everything. Think of somebody in your life that's just kind of hard to love. Now, for some of us, let's be honest, that kind of hits close to home because, yeah, it's Mother's Day, and you're here, but, and everybody looks good on Mother's Day, but Things are not great. It's okay. Just put, put that name, put that relationship, put that dynamic, just kind of in your mind by faith, just put that with the Lord. And so before we get to God's word, we're just sort of praying, praying with our eyes open. That's okay. God, I know I need to get to the second mile in this relationship. Would you help me? And let's just let that be our prayer as we get into the word of God. Luke's gospel. Chapter 13, verse 10. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of opposition to Jesus, and he's not really teaching or preaching without people criticizing him. And so we're going to encounter something he does that elicits criticism and elicits opposition. But it's in this dynamic that we're going to see Jesus teach us, show us principles for how we need to get, how we can get to the second mile in our relationships. So it says he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So it's kind of like a church service, if you will, first century Jewish environment. And so we're in this church service and he's teaching. And a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. So she has some kind of physical ailment where she's hunched over and she's disabled, and, and there's a spiritual underlying or a spiritual cause of this. Uh, the enemy has done something to her body, and she's bent over, and she could not straighten up at all. Now, a couple of things that are just of note. Luke and, and all, all the gospel writers, to, to be writing in the first century, they emphasize often Jesus or God's understanding of men and women, and especially God's understanding of women who were in this culture, they were subordinated, but in the kingdom of God, Jesus and the word of God elevates the standing of women to equality with men in the complementary relationship of male and female he created them. In fact, there's about 42 references and, and stories in the gospels about women, and 23 of them occur in either Luke or Acts who are all written by Luke. So the first, that's the first thing we need to notice that he's highlighting. Fighting, uh, this dynamic with women, but in this culture, being a disabled woman is two strikes. 
See, women were not even counted in the attendance numbers for the synagogue. So they would take out all the women and say, you know, if there were 100 people there and it was 50-50, there were 50 people there because women didn't count. So that's number one, but she's also disabled. So, and that's looked upon as you did something, God's punishing you, or you're second class, or you're second rate. And so this, a woman is not counted, a disabled woman, overlooked, scorned, all of those things, all of the above, and, and yet she's in this horrible condition. She can't even straighten up. She's probably never been able to really see the sun or see the sunrise, probably hadn't slept well. I mean, just so many things uh, in her life that are not of God and, and not what God's perfect will for her is, but she's in this condition. And then we get this incredible statement. When Jesus saw her. So the synagogue keepers don't even count her as present, yet Luke highlights that Jesus, the Son of God, saw her. He looks at her. He sees her. He notices her. And we'll see what he does to her, for her, in her in just a minute. But it's so important for us to see this principle because I think one of the reasons we can't get to the second mile in our relationships, in our homes, in our marriages, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our politics, wherever. One of the reasons we can't get to the second mile in these relational dynamics that we all have and that we're all a part of is because we've never identified the lens for relationships. Now, now here's what I mean by lens. You have a way, I have a way of looking at other people. Now, that lens has been shaped by how we were raised, our society, our culture, kind of what I, the, the expectations. This is what you're supposed to look like. This is how you're supposed to act. These are the kind of shoes you can wear after Memorial Day, but not after Labor Day. All that kind of stuff, right? And so we all have these lens uh, is that we look at people through these, through these sort of glasses that we're given product of all these things, traditions, upbringing, culture, society, even religious lens, all of that, right? I mean, racism comes out of this, right? The lens that we have. And, and the important thing for us to understand is th these lenses have been given to us and they can make us see people or overlook people or see people in a way that's not of God. Like nobody counted this disabled woman. But Jesus saw her, just like Jesus sees all of us here this weekend. So, so to illustrate this, here's a, here's a, fa a famous picture, right? The, the, kind of the only one, right, of Nessie, the supposed Loch Ness monster. And, and everybody's gone to this lake in Scotland, really deep, really dark and cloudy, trying to, trying to, try to see this. But they, the, the psychologist did this interesting study to prove the point that perspective can skew reality. Perspective can make us miss things or misinterpret things or overlook things, like our perspective. So in the first century, a disabled woman, that's a perspective, right? How you look at people, that's a perspective, right? So here's what they did. They got a group of people and they said, hey, we're going to take you on a boat ride on a tour uh, of this lake. And they started talking about, hey, there's been some sightings of the Loch Ness Monster lately. And, and, and so maybe something's going to happen on this morning boat ride. Well, and so what they, these people didn't know they were part of a study. They just knew that hey, something was going on maybe and they might see Nessie, right? They didn't know that the, the people behind the study had put a diver out in the lake and he had a four by four piece of a board. 
And so at some point in the little boat ride around the lake, he raised this, you know, four by four square board up out of the surface of the water, held it there for just a few seconds, and then slowly lowered it down. And everybody on the boat got really, really excited. Then they get back to shore, and, and the, the tour guides, which really the researchers, said, hey, why don't you draw what you saw? And ironically, you know what they drew? Not, not a four by four piece of, piece of wood. They drew something that looked like this. Their perspective didn't match reality, but they were given a lens before they even got on the boat. That, hey, maybe, 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 right? So you're given a lens, and we look at people through those lens. And the question is, are we really seeing the reality? Are we really seeing the most important thing? Are we really seeing what's most important about this person? Remember that person that you kind of, I told you not to write their name down or elbow anybody next to you. Remember that person that you're, and that's, that's difficult to get to the second mile with that person. You got to ask yourself, how am I looking at this person? And is it of God? But Jesus saw this woman that didn't even get counted present when she was at synagogue for worship. So when Jesus saw her, he called out to her. So he personalizes uh, and speaks to her. Probably hadn't been spoken to in years in synagogue. She was overlooked, missed. He called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she was restored toward the hell physically, spiritually, and began to glorify God. Do what she and you and I were all created to do. Because Jesus sees past our problems and into our potential and into our purpose. And, and so just think about Christ in this setting. First, he notices the person, not the problem as primary. He notices, and we know that the most important thing about her and just the most important thing about us, we're made in the image of God. Somewhere along the lines, we forget that anybody we lock eyes with is somebody who has been made and created in the image of God. Yes, that image has been marred and broken by sin and brokenness and, and, and guilt and all the things that we've done wrong and all the things that have been done to us, but we're still created in the image of God. And everybody you lock eyes with you need to look at them through the lens of they were made in the image of God and Jesus died on the cross for them. That right there changes how we see people because we tend to see people as do they meet our standard? We tend to see people as a problem or not. Right, And then we start categorizing, and it's all about the lens that we're looking at. And Jesus didn't see this woman like everybody else in synagogue that day saw that woman. She didn't even count. And, and, and then secondly, we see this about Jesus. He's for that person. He's for the people. I want to say this to all of us here today, all right? God is for you. God is for you. God and his son Jesus is for you. I think it is so easy in this world to really just think about all the things that are against us or against our life or against our hopes or against our dreams, but Jesus is for us. And some of you, that's the message you need to hear. I mean, one of the reasons we celebrate moms is because, man, for better or worse, mom's always for us. 
And that's a glimpse, an imperfect glimpse into the heart of God. Now, what happens next is a contrast. So we have how Jesus saw this disabled woman. And we get a contrast with the leader of the synagogue. The Word of God says the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. We weren't supposed to, quote, unquote, do any work on the Sabbath. So he's indignant. So for 18 years, this woman's been disabled. In an instant, Jesus sees her, notices her, heals her, delivers her, restores her. She begins to glorify God. So there's praise and worship coming out of one lady's mouth, healing and deliverance because of the gracious, powerful, sovereign work of God on one hand. On the other hand, we have someone who's upset about it. Crazy, right? Depends on how you look at it, right? But Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. And so the leader of the synagogue responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And this brings us to the second thing we need to identify if we're going to get to the second mile is what is our mentality toward the relationships that we're even in? So we need to see the lens. How am I looking at people? Do I see them as made in the image of God? Do, they, do I see them as someone for, who, for whom Jesus died for? But now we also have to look at our mindset or our mentality toward our relationships. And what we see in this story is there's really only two mindsets we can have. There is a mindset of based on rules. Do we meet the rules? Do we keep the rules? Do we follow the rules? Do we keep up with customs or grace? See, the synagogue ruler saw rules. He didn't see a woman who had received the grace of Almighty God. He didn't see someone who had been healed because God was being gracious to her, because God was for her. He saw a violation of the rules. And, and what happens in our relationships, we can be very excited about God's amazing grace to us and then turn around and relate, relate to other people based on rules we have and they may or may not keep to our liking. Isn't that true? Like, yeah, you know, like you ever remember when the honeymoon was over, those of us that have been married past 90 days or 30 days or past the honeymoon? Like, it's all grace, and everybody's awesome, and everybody's hunky-dory, and then you get married, and you realize, man, I've got some rules that I'm holding my spouse hostage to, and, and these rules are sometimes really just my preferences or my expectations that are not even of God, and we do that with our employees and our employers. We do that with our neighbors. We do it with our kids, and we're not giving grace. We're looking at people through the rules. Our rules, and we miss what God has done through Jesus, all as an act of grace. I want to tell you something. Listen, if God related to you and I through rules, we, I could quote the Ten Commandments, and we could probably all bat ten for ten. Broken it, broken it, broken it. So if God chose to solely relate to us based on rules... We're hopeless. But what did he do? He saw us like he saw that woman. Broken. Held in bondage by sin. 
enslaved by sin, 18 years, 28 years, all our lives, however long, and God acted on the cross, and God acted in history, and he wants to act in our hearts by pouring grace into our hearts by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, so we would be set free, so we would be straightened up, so we would glorify God and treat other people with the grace we have received from God. But I want to say this, now listen, let's, let's understand this. If you have a rules mentality, you will always have a reason to stay off the second mile. Because you'll always find a reason not to go the second mile. And your reason will sound logical. And your friend group may even like say, yeah, 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 he deserves it, she deserves it. No, no way. Your inner lawyer, your inner lawyer will convince you stay off the second mile because the rules give you a reason to do so and it feels right and it feels justifiable and it feels, yeah. Just remember, Jesus went the second mile for us because he had a grace mentality, not a rules mentality. Now, Jesus is going to respond to this synagogue ruler. And here's what he does. It says, but the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites. So in one instance, you do it this way. In another instance, you do it another way. There's no integrity. And here's, what, here's how he calls them out. He says, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? So you take care of the needs of your ox and donkey, but you're mad and indignant at me for taking care of the spiritual and physical needs of this woman made in the image of God that I'm going to die for in a short while from now in the context of Luke 13. You hypocrites, he says. She's not an ox or a donkey. She's an image bearer. And he makes that clear with what he says next. He says, listen, Satan has bound this woman. But she's not just a woman. She's a daughter of Abraham. And all the Jews, <gasps> because Abraham's the, one of the fathers of the faith. And Abraham is the one that first walked with God in faith. And it was his example and the lesson of faith that God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And we receive the blessing of God it's the same way Abraham got blessed by God, by faith, by trust, by dependence on Jesus Christ and all the promises that he's made in Christ are yes and amen in him. And so he calls her not just a woman. He calls her not just disabled, not just freed, but a daughter of the promise, a daughter of faith, a daughter of Abraham for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day the same way you untie an ox or a donkey to to give it water or food on the Sabbath day. And, and he makes it so clear. He makes it so clear at what they're doing. And, and, and the hypocrisy of a lot of us is we get so excited about God's grace to us, but we don't want to extend that horizontally to other people who are problematic. Right? And so we never, ever get to the second mile 
But if we do look, check out the lens at which we view people, do we see people as image bearers? Do we see people as people for whom Jesus died? So we identify the lens through which we look at people. We identify our mentality toward people. Is it grace or is it rules? And then what Jesus does here when he calls her a daughter of Abraham is let's identify the promises of God for people. The promises of God for people. See, most of us are better at identifying our problems with people, but the promises of God for people. God would love for everyone to be saved. God would love for everyone to be walking by faith. God would love for the nations to inherit and receive the promises of Abraham. Even people you know that are walking through adversity, God has promises for us that are yes in Christ when we go through adversity and when we suffer. So what if we saw people not through the lens maybe we were given, not through the rules mentality that it's so easy to succumb to and fall to, but what if we looked at people and saw the promises of God for them? Just as Jesus saw this woman had promises of God for her and he healed her. And what did she do? She began praising God, which is our first. First job description as image bearers. Show forth what God is like in his glory and grace. So we have to see people identify the promises of God for these people. This is like what it means, you know, at Rockbridge we say love God, love others, and live sin. Part of living sent is we live and we want the promises of God for people who are walking apart from God. Think about our moms, right? They, want, they, they believe in us. They, have, they, they believe in the promises of our lives and the potential that we have. When you get married, part of the covenant of marriage is helping each other walk in the path of God's promises. And, and somewhere along the lines, though, it becomes about navigating problems instead of helping people seize and live in the promises. So I, I just want to ask as a really, really big question, this weekend, okay? I want to ask a really big question this weekend, okay? And it comes out of what we've been talking about. Here's the question. Am I a Christian in my relationships? Now, now, now before we kind of like, what, what are you? Look, we can say, hey, I'm a Christian because I'm in church, maybe. I, I'm a, you may say, I'm a Christian because of my beliefs, okay? I'm a Christian because of my upbringing, Maybe. I'm a Christian because I did some religious rituals, you know. Maybe I got baptized. Maybe I prayed a prayer. Maybe I walked an aisle. Okay. But are you a Christian? Are you Christ-like in your relationships? And not just some of your relationships. But am I on the second mile? I, I wrote this down when I was thinking and praying about this message, and, and let me just read it here. It says, I, here's what I wrote. When I see people, if I recognize and identify that Jesus died for them, then I must seek to be Christ-like to them. Say that again. If Jesus died for them, then I must seek to be Christ-like to them. And we have a great story, and there's countless others in the Gospels of Jesus being Christ-like to a woman in her culture who didn't even count. Now, 
here's kind of the here's kind of where the rubber meets the road because because I think I mean, we can walk out of here this weekend and say okay I'm gonna try I think all of us have tried and we're like man there's still just hard to get to the second mile there's there's still maybe just hard to love get I'm trying and they're just still making it hard because they're still difficult and that's when we got to make a distinction between trying and training because we a lot of us try and then we get stuck we tried to make our marriage work, we're stuck. We tried to get at the second mile, we're stuck. And then we give up, or we think, oh, maybe the word, I mean, we have our reason that we, why we don't have to get at the second mile, it feels right, it sounds right, we'll find a couple other people to validate us, and we're okay. Then we got to keep looking at the cross, we got to keep looking at the word of God. And we got to understand that we don't just try, we have to train. You see, for a lot of us, if I said, hey, why don't you go out right now and try to run a 5K or a 10K or a half or a full marathon, some of us would be like, oh, I can, I'll try, but it's probably not going to happen. What if you trained, though? Maybe not today you couldn't do it. Three months, six months, a year? Probably. Some of us, Right? Those of you who can run a five, a ten, a half, a full, how were you able to do that? Did you just try? No, you trained. You trained. And, and part of training is what? Asking God to help. Part of training is praying. Part of training involves getting with Jesus as his disciple. See, a lot of us get with Jesus, and when it comes to maybe some difficult people, what's our main prayer? Fix them or get them out of my life. Let's be honest, right? What if your main prayer, you don't fix anybody. I don't fix anybody. That's up to them and the Lord, right? And they're in my life probably because God put them in my life. He's sovereign, so what if our main prayer was not fix them or remove them, but Jesus trained me to get on the second mile with them? Game changer, right? Because how will the world know that we're disciples of Jesus? That you love one another as he has loved us. So when we think about training, to get to the second mile, let me offer a few thoughts. The first one is this. We have to sit. Don't rush by it. Don't sound bite this. Jesus went the second mile for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But he went the second mile for me. When he died on the cross instead of me. And that love has to be allowed to sit and hit our hearts. It has to define us. Remember we defined a Christian a few weeks back as someone who has been invaded by the holy love of God. So Jesus went the second mile for me. When I was an enemy of his, Jesus went the second mile for me. And then this becomes our new mantra. As he has been to me, 
so I will be to others. That's the goal of the second mile. As he has been to me, so I will be to others. Not others of my choosing always, but just others, period. Because everybody I see, including the people that I'm tempted not to count, like our woman in Luke 13, because others are made in the image of God. Others are someone for whom Jesus died for, period. And I would then use the king's methods. Jesus noticed, Jesus saw, Jesus interacted, Jesus was present. I will use the king's methods. I will share King Jesus' message of this incredible, incredible love of Jesus in my place, of Jesus going the second mile for me, and I will represent King Jesus' character. And I think all three of these have to be in alignment. Because listen, you can be right and you can tell people truth, even hard truth. And we have to have those hard, productive conversations and conflict. We have to do that. But a lot of people are right and they speak the truth, but they don't, look, they don't reflect the character of Jesus. They're mean, they're angry, they're harsh, they're not gentle, they're not loving, they're not patient, they're not kind. I just tell it like it is. Quit. You might need to tell it like it is, but do it the way Jesus would do it. Right? Because what do we say? What do we say? What do we say? If Jesus died for them, I must seek to be Christ-like to them. So I'm going to put a verse up. This is going to be our prayer. And we'll close and give ourselves an opportunity to listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to God for the step He wants to take, for the step He wants us to take to get to the second mile in our relationships. From the... Letter to the church at Ephesus. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. He loved us. Second mile. Died in my place. Died for me. And offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Now as I read that, listen. There's some of you and you just need to look at this. He loved us and you're part of the us. And maybe today is the day you are invaded by the holy love of God. And his love hit for you, his second mile for you, hits your heart and causes a beautiful surrender where you just lay it down and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you as best I know how right now. I, I want to become your son, your daughter, a son or daughter by faith. And all the promises of God now are yes and amen to you. You're saved. You're walking. You're following him. We want to help you with that because he loved you, right? That's your invitation. That might be your next step. Others following the example of Christ, filled with love. The love I have received from him, that's how I want to love other people, including the difficult people in my life. You bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we just invite your incredible presence here that you would have your way. God, I'm going to just give us a moment to be still, to talk with you in our spirit and our mind. 
God, maybe it's that difficult person we, we, we imagined and we identified with at the beginning of the message, and we now know there's a step we've got to take. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe, God, it's to go have that conversation. Maybe it's to ask for forgiveness. But, God, I, I just pray we look at them with the intention to train to get to the second mile with them. God, for some of us, we just needed to know you're for us and to rest in that. The same way you were for that disabled woman that didn't count, we all count in your kingdom, Jesus. Thank you for that. And then, God, I just pray you'd have your way. Have your way, God, for folks right now that are ready to become your son or your daughter by putting their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did when he went the second mile and carried our cross and took its shame so we could be set free forever. Have your way as we're quiet and still in your presence right now. Oh, God, would you just be honored and glorified by the response to your word, by people choosing obedience, by people moving forward toward the second mile to the glory of your name. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen.